Is Christianity just a crutch? No, 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 no. No, a crutch is for someone who has a twisted ankle or a broken leg. And your situation is way worse than that. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that helps you lead your family in defending the Christian message. It's the ThinkPod 12 Days of Christmas, 12 current cultural challenges answered with timeless biblical truth by me and some of my friends. For more content like this, be sure to follow all our guest posts and join the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. So Merry Christmas from the Think Institute and Happy 2022. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedicase. My name is Joel Sedicase, and this is the 12 days of Christmas here on the Think Podcast, as the intro just stated. And today is day number seven, and we're going to be talking about the objection, Christianity is just a crutch. Now, this is an objection. Maybe you've heard it before. I heard it maybe for the first time about a decade ago. And yes, I'm still salty about it. Not really, but it it is something I've been thinking about over these last several years. And why is that? It's because at a certain point, this is one of those objections where you hear it and it sounds like there's something wrong with it. But what? What is wrong with the objection? What is the fatal flaw, the faulty assumption in this objection? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that tonight, today, day number seven. And, um, My hope is that by the time that we're done, you're going to know how to respond to someone who tells you that your Christian faith or religion in general, but in particular, your Christian faith is just a crutch. So let's go ahead and dive into it and let's talk about this objection. Now, I first heard it from a family member who was an avowed atheist, not necessarily a consistent atheist, but then again... I repeat myself because what atheist is consistent. And this person was essentially telling me, it was a family member, essentially telling me, look, I'm glad that Christianity works for you. Wonderful. As for me, I view it as an aid, a crutch, something that I don't need, something that is unnecessary for me. But, you know, obviously it's necessary for you. And so, hey, more power to you if you feel like you need it. You know, you probably really don't just, you know, be a good person. But hey, if you feel like you need it, then fine. Go ahead and indulge yourself. So as with any objection to the Christian message, we're going to approach this in three steps. And these are very simple steps. The first one is we dig into the unbelieving worldview and we reduce it to absurdity. We find the fatal flaw and we expose it for the fatality, the self-own that it truly is. Step number two is going to be, we're going to really investigate the Christian position and we're going to see, does it hold water? Does it actually, uh, is it true? Does it make sense of the objection? And you know, does it meet its own criteria? In other words, does the Christian worldview in this case, makes sense of A, our need of help, whether a crutch or something else, and does it provide that help? And then finally, step number three is we're going to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite our non-believing friend, coworker, family member, neighbor to repent and believe the gospel and receive Jesus Christ. So without any further 
yakking on my part, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start with our reduction of the unbelieving worldview to absurdity. First of all, this objection very rarely actually points at what biblical Christianity actually is. More often than not, the kind of quote-unquote Christianity that our atheist, skeptic, non-believing, religiously other friend or family member has in mind here is some sort of moralistic, well, what's often been called moralistic therapeutic deism, the kind of religion that purports to make you a better person, you know, like, hey, be a good person because the man in the sky is watching you and he will reward your virtue, but he will punish your vice. This is the kind of religion that Ben Franklin had in mind. I'm listening right now to the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Highly worth a listen. It's very excellent. But I'm listening to that. And for him, you know, religion was, uh, that that's what religion was. It was moralism. Be a good person and God will reward you. Be a vicious person, a bad person. You know, vicious just means, you know, having to do with vices. Don't, instead of pursuing virtue, being a good person, be a vicious person and God will punish you, whether in this life or in the hereafter. That was Ben Franklin's version of Christianity. But is that real Christianity? Well, no, it's not. If you've ever read the Bible, read the book of Romans, read the actual Gospels. And I'm afraid that our non-Christian interlocutor, discussion partner, is exhibiting what Doug Ponder calls gospel inoculation. Doug Ponder is one of the founding pastors of Remnant Church in Richmond. And he has this article on Christianity.com called Two Big Reasons Why People Reject Christianity. And the second reason in that article is what he calls gospel inoculation. Now, an inoculation, as you probably know, is another name for a vaccine. So I figured at this point in our history, this might be a good time to use this phrase, gospel inoculation. Here's what he says. He he talks about how inoculations are are good, generally speaking. I agree with that, generally speaking. And uh, what he says, though, is tragically, a major cause for why some people reject Christianity today is gospel inoculation. They think they've heard the gospel and rejected it, when in reality, what they rejected was not the gospel, but a dead, false form of the real thing. If you think about it, gospel inoculation is not a problem in areas where the gospel has never been preached. He goes on. But gospel inoculation is a huge problem in countries like America, where there are churches in every town and country all across the nation. Because of this, just about everyone in America has heard something of the Christian message at some point in their life. You'd find it difficult to meet anyone in America who has never heard anything about Jesus. Yet the question remains, have they heard the actual gospel and have they understood it? So this is what Doug Ponder says, and and this is what he calls gospel inoculation. You know, like like in a true inoculation, your body is introduced to a dead form of the disease, and because of that, it it develops antibodies to fight off the real thing. Well, in a sense, that's sort of what gospel inoculation does is you you get inoculated against a false gospel, a dead gospel that can't actually save. And then when the real gospel comes along, you've got these antibodies that supposedly fight it off. So what are some of these false gospels that people think Christians believe that they, they just hold on to as a crutch? 
that actually are not true Christianity, but a false dead version. Well, what about this? Obey God and you'll be blessed. Reject God and you'll be cursed. Okay. That may be true. And you could probably, I mean, there's many verses in the Bible that talk about the blessings of obedience for sure. And how your life goes much worse if you act like a fool and don't don't believe God's word and, and follow his instructions. But is that the gospel? Is that the heart and soul of Christianity? No, it's not. What about this? If you This is uh, one of the ones that Doug Ponder, actually all of these are coming from Doug Ponder's excellent article. What he says is, another false gospel is, if you give money to Jesus, he'll make you healthy and wealthy. Well, obviously we, we recognize, well, I shouldn't say obviously. Uh, I, I ascertain that that is an example of the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. Here's another one. Now you, you'll see this one on the signs of churches. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Is that the gospel? You got to be careful with this one because Jesus does point to those two commands Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself as the two most important, the two greatest commandments in the law, the law of Moses. But that is not the gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually, arguably, supersedes those commandments with his own new commandment, you shall love one another as I have loved you. So even those two commandments are no longer the greatest two commandments, but at that time, they were the two greatest commandments in the law of Moses, but that's not the gospel. So Doug Ponder, Pastor Doug Ponder, does a great job of pointing out how these false gospels can make people think that they've heard the the gospel, the good news of Christianity, what it means to be a Christian. And they've rejected those false forms of Christianity as sort of like like moralistic, religious uh, uh, pablum. It's unnecessary. You know, anybody can be a good person without supposedly, you know, that's what they say, without belief in God, without the, without that form of religion. And yeah, you know, okay, let's put that aside because I'm going to argue that point anyway. But the point is, that's not Christianity. None of those examples um, are representative of actual Christianity. So this argument really... Oftentimes, you have to ask questions. You have to find out where your discussion partner is coming from. Because if they have in mind one of these false forms of Christianity, we can hardly say with along with them, yeah, sure, that that's probably a crutch. That's probably just unnecessary uh, moral advice, at least to a certain extent. You got to be careful. You don't want to say that about God's word. But just this idea, you know, be good, be a good person. You know, everybody knows we should be a good person. The question is, what does it mean to be a good person? And why do I fail at it so many times? Well, and so that actually brings us to the next point. As we're reducing the unbelieving position to absurdity, you know, we can we can actually point the mirror around at the at our unbelieving friend and say, Well, okay, well, how about you? Well, what's your standard of goodness? You know, what's your what's your standard of righteous moral living? And then by the way, how are you living up to it? You know, because the implication here is that Christianity is just a crutch. I don't need it. Why? Because I am a good person. I can live this out on my own. All right. Well, how are you doing? You know, years ago, probably about a decade, maybe a decade and a half ago, 
Richard Dawkins, world-renowned, I would say scientist, but he doesn't practice much science anymore. I I really should just say world-renowned atheist. That's what he's known for now. He and his ilk commissioned billboards and signs in the UK and around the United States that say, are you good without God? Millions are. That sort of thing. And well, maybe, you know what? He had other billboards that said, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. And I think he's behind the other one that said, are you good without God? Maybe that was the American atheists, now that I think about it. But of course, that begs the question, what does it mean to be good? And secondly, are you really good? You know, if you, I, I, my pastor years ago made this great illustration and I really like it. He said, if you were to put a tape recorder around your neck, well, this tells you how many years ago it was. If you put a tape recorder around your neck and just recorded all the things that you said other people should do, and then you looked at your own life, how well would your personal conduct match the things that you say that others should do? In other words, all those shoulds that you're putting out there, are you even living up to your own standard? So, you know, most of us would fail that test. I dare say all of us would fail that test. You know, I mentioned Benjamin Franklin earlier. I'm currently listening to his autobiography. And Ben Franklin is known for many things, discovering electricity, inventing bifocals. He started the lending library system in Philadelphia. He started the post office in the United States. But he's also known as somewhat of a moral philosopher, self-educated moral philosopher. And Ben Franklin developed this system of 13 virtues that he believed were vital to living a good life. And and he developed a whole system, a 13-week system of pursuing those virtues. And you know what he said? At the end of this project of pursuing these virtues, he eventually dropped the project. He did see moral improvement, but he did not attain moral perfection, which is what he was going for. In other words, he was not perfect. He could not make himself be perfect. Now, this guy had a, 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 the system is fantastic. If you study the system and you follow Ben Franklin in his 13-week program, you'll probably find yourself to be a more virtuous person, at least outwardly. But Ben Franklin's system, which is really kind of the definition of a crutch, he's trying to lean on this system, it ultimately failed him. And so unbelief is not an antidote to the desire to want to be a good person. And without God, you're going to come up with some system. And the question is, how well do you obey your own system, your own crutch? Turns out we all have crutches, so to speak. But Mr. Atheist, Mr. Nonbeliever, Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Religious Other, how well are you living up to even your own standards, your own quote-unquote crutch? Okay, so now let's look at the actual biblical truth, the biblical gospel. We've looked at some false gospels. We've kind of looked at the absurdity of trying to become a moral person um, based on your own efforts. But what does the Bible actually say? See, a crutch is not really a great metaphor for Christianity, because as Christians, we don't believe that our leg is broken or that we have a spiritual sprained ankle. Rather, If you look at Ephesians 2 as just as one example, what you'll see is that our condition is way worse than that. Here's what Ephesians 2, 
verses one through three say. I'm going to read from the English English Standard Bible. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know what this is saying? This isn't saying, oh, you've got a a spiritual boo-boo, a spiritual broken leg. No, you were dead. You were deceased. More than that, you were walking dead. You were a spiritual zombie in the service of Satan himself. Your situation was way worse than a spiritual broken leg. If you've ever read Lord of the Rings, you were a ring wraith. You you used to be a man, but you were taken over by evil. And now you're a shell of a husk of a being walking in this world like a night walker, dead to God, dead to goodness. All of your efforts to be good, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. You need more than a crutch. I need more than a crutch. What do we need? We need to be raised to life. This, we need regeneration. And this is exactly what the Bible says we will get. Not because of our works, but but by the gift of God. Listen to Titus 3.5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, pause, not because we pursued Ben Franklin's 13 virtues, virtuous as that that system might be, not by works done in righteousness, unpause, but but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You're not hobbling along on some crutch. You've been given a gift from God. You've been given new life. Let me give you, there there are many metaphors for the relationship that God's people have to him, that the church has to Christ. One of those is like like a bride to a bridegroom. Another is like slaves to a master. Another is like subjects to a king or like arm, like, like a warriors to a uh, commander. But one of, one of my favorites, maybe my favorite, is in Ezekiel 36, which is from the Old Testament. Verse 26, here's what it says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, we don't need a crutch. Christianity is not a crutch. So you can hobble along seeking moral perfection and never attaining it. Christianity, no, let me rephrase that. God's gift to his people who have faith in Jesus Christ is not a crutch, but a new heart, a heart transplant, a heart transplant. Now, if you know anything about my story, you know how much that phrase means to me. My son last year received a heart transplant. Now, imagine 
if we brought the news that Lucas received his heart transplant to our neighbors and they said, heart transplant, ah, that's just a crutch. Heart transplant's just a crutch for people who think they need it. What? What? You'd slap him in the face. You'd say, what are you talking about? Well, what do you mean? A heart transplant is just a crutch. No, a heart transplant is a heart transplant. Think about what's required for a heart transplant. Transplant. Someone has to die to give you a new heart. A heart transplant is not an aid to help you hobble along. It's a second lease on life. That is what God promises to those who trust in Jesus Christ. That is what God promises to his people. It's a new heart. It is so much more than a crutch. So if someone says, ah, Christianity is just a crutch, you can say, listen, you, you don't know the half of it. I, my leg wasn't broken. I was dead. I didn't need a crutch. I didn't need a peg leg, a wooden leg. I didn't need a, a leg uh, a prosthetic. I needed new life. I was dead. I needed to be reborn, regenerated, brought back to life. And that is what God did for me. By grace, you have been saved through faith. You know, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So what I would encourage you to do as you're having these conversations is to bring it back around to the gospel. And this, this has been gospel saturated throughout the deadness of man in sin, the need for new life, but make sure you bring it around to the truth that new life only comes through the death of God's son. The Lord Jesus died so that you and I could be raised to life. And that is what Christianity is. It's being baptized into the death of Christ by the Holy Spirit who gives us faith. The Bible says God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He gives us faith. We believe in Jesus. We believe that he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. And now he reigns from heaven. He's our Lord. We trust in him. We've received life from him. And we've received a total life transplant, a heart transplant. Christianity is so much more than a crutch. It's new life from the dead. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedecase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. Music